You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, We've got a very special guest joining us for the podcast today. A return special guest, but no less special for being a return in the spirit of the holidays. Dr. Barak, welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. It's always a pleasure to have someone who's actually qualified to give medical advice on the show where we occasionally give inaccurate medical advice. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm great. How How are your holidays? Wonderful. Looking forward to the new year? Absolutely. Let's get to the questions. Okay. Actually, I have to ask you something before I get to the questions. I sometimes think we should do a video feed of your appearances on the podcast because it hurts me inside because you look so distressed. You just look like you've been wheeled in here on a Hannibal Lecter cart and propped up in front of the microphone totally against your will. No, I, I am here completely. I'm a consenting physician. I, I am not. I'm not here against my will. I, I, I'm of legal age, and you're not and, the Patty Hearst of <laughs> podcast guests, to the <laughs> reference that most of you won't get, but we get. I, I, I am un, under your spell. All right, then. Well, now that we've obtained consent, and consent is a very important <laughs> ingredient of all sorts of things, let's get to your questions. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com/savage today for details. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. I am considering dating a guy who has hepatitis C, and it looks, he says it's not STD. It looks to me, though, all like from my research on the internet, that can be sexually transmitted. The Red Cross won't let you give blood if you've been sexually active with someone with hepatitis C. So my question is, how easily contracted would this be, Um, not just through sex, but through just incidental contact, you know, hugging? Because it's blood-borne, so all you need is a paper cut. So am I being a total bitch about considering not going out with this guy because of it, or is this actually a valid fear? First, a bit of background. What is hep C and why should people be peeing their pants about it? Yeah, so hepatitis C is uh, one of the most common viruses that affects the liver in the United States, and and it's really, really uh, complicated and sort of one of the most difficult questions in medicine, really, about whether hepatitis C is sexually transmitted, or uh, if it is, how easily transmitted is it? So what does it do? Does it, it takes out your liver and you drop, you turn yellow and drop dead? So it's, it's a chronic infection, and so it takes, uh, it can take decades for it to cause cirrhosis or scarring of the liver and kill you. And, um, and it, many, many people with hepatitis C never go on to develop cirrhosis and so never really have any symptoms from it, but many, many do. And, and when they are people who have it but don't have symptoms, are they infectious? And so they are. And so, that's what, so what's so confusing and complicated about hepatitis C is, uh, like she said, it is a, it's a blood-borne infection. And so um, the vast majority of people who have hepatitis C in the United States have contracted it by sharing 
uh, needles, so injecting drugs. Um, but then there's a lot of people who have it who swear up and down that they've never used IV drugs. And so it's a little mysterious how a smaller subset of people with hepatitis C got it. Um, it used to be that you it was frequently uh, acquired from blood transfusions, but they really cleared the blood supply of hepatitis C about 20 or almost 30 years ago now. And so that's uh, almost unheard of now that you could get hepatitis C from a blood transfusion. But, so there's, but there's no definitive answer about whether it's actually transmitted right. or not. Right. So, and so, so this guy shouldn't say that it isn't. But this woman and you shouldn't say that it is. Right. So they've done these, like, huge interesting studies where they take couples where one sort of who claim to be monogamous and one person in the couple has hepatitis C and the other doesn't. And, you know, they, they encourage them to use condoms, but obviously sometimes people don't. And then they follow them for five or ten years. And it turns out that even in people, couples who are having unprotected sex and one is hepatitis C positive and the other isn't, um, they can go they can go years and years and years of having unprotected sex and the uninfected person doesn't get hepatitis C. And so based on that, pretty good, solid, reproducible data, um, the recommendation from the CDC is that people who are in a uh, in a relationship and one person is hep C positive and the other isn't, it's not a huge important deal for them to always use condoms. And so, uh, so this it's a it's a murky question. I think the best we can say is that it is probably sexually transmitted to some tiny extent, but the risk is very, very low, which is really different from hepatitis B. So hepatitis B is an extremely sexually transmitted uh, virus infection that affects the liver that is very, very easy to uh, either get through sharing needles or, uh, or from sex. And so, um, so that, that's why it, it's confusing because these are two viruses that affect the liver. And so on one hand, you'd think that they should act the same, but it turns out that they're really different. And, and it probably has something to do with, um, with semen. So there's probably a pretty high viral load of hepatitis B in semen, but uh, maybe virtually no hepatitis C in semen, and so that you really need blood transmission uh, for hepatitis C. And it may be that you need a, a fair amount of blood, that the amount of Not hepatitis C. Not just the incidental C. blood that might be present right. in mucous membranes right. when you're grinding them together during sex. So it's really easy to catch hepatitis B from sex, but it's extremely, extremely difficult. So what's our advice for this woman then? Yeah. So, you Is know. Is the guy worth it? Yeah. Is so the question, really? Because I, I, w- I would say that, you know, she should start out having, uh, you know, very, very sort of carefully protected 100% condom sex with him and see how the relationship goes. And if it sort of develops into sort of a wonderful relationship and they sort of really want to kind of commit to each other long term, that it would be a reasonable thing to say that at some point in their relationship, uh, they could switch to having unprotected sex, uh, you know, as long as they were being safe outside the relationship. And cognizant of the risks and, and to shoulder them. And aware that there is, the risk Potential is not zero, but right. it's extremely, extremely tiny. Hi, Dan. Um, I... I have a question that I don't know if you'd be able to help me with because it's female vaginal health related, and I know that's not maybe your top expertise, but it's been a problem for a while, so I'm resorting to this. Um, I've been having weird discharge. It's like it's like the consistency of male cum, but it's all the time 
and I used to have like clear, normal, well lubricating vagina, and now it's like that weird stuff. I went to the doctor twice. Um, they said it was bacterial vaginosis and gave me pills and a cream on the separate times. And they said it's a pH problem that it would correct itself. My concern is is that it never will correct itself because it's starting to be like the normal state of affairs. And it's been like this for like six months and it kind of has a negative effect on my relationship with my boyfriend because I just don't feel like I'm lubricating regularly and sex is just not as um, awesome. Uh, also, I looked up bacterial vaginosis online and it says that it's mainly characterized by smelly vagina and I don't have a smelly vagina. I just have this weird discharge. Anyway, I would really appreciate it if you had any insight or knew anybody who did or could recommend me any sort of holistic way to fix it or what I should do. I'm 10 years old because I went, when I, you know, when you're talking about bacterial vaginosis and you ask for a holistic way to fix it, it makes me giggle <laughs> because I'm very immature. So it's a really good thing you're sitting here today. What the fuck does she do? I'll, I'll, I'll keep you straight, man. <laughs> um, so uh, so it's, it's kind of hard to know exactly what's going on from the call. Uh, bacterial vaginosis is really, really common. And so uh, it's, you know, something like 20 to 40 percent of women um, will have it in a somewhat frequent way. And it's uh, – and to talk about vaginal – bacterial vaginosis means talking about that, that funny word, which is flora, vaginal flora, um, because it's not, it's not a sexually transmitted disease. It's the – It's a terrarium it's from a, the sounds of it. It's a terrarium, right. So, I mean, both your mouth and your uh, vagina – are uh, both teeming with you know, billions and billions of bacteria, and your colon as well. You know, just uh, this is you know the the flora of the of of all of these uh, inner Wouldn't spaces. Maybe fauna, if they're bacteria, aren't it's, those little bitty yeah, animals? Yeah, so right. It's good question. It's never. It's, I guess because bacteria can't move, they're they're called floras. But anyway, so it's, so there's billions of bacteria, and they're all sort of living in this kind of mysteriously maintained harmony. Where it's like Avatar. It is pretty cool. And uh, and then, you know, but what can happen is that that harmony can get disrupted and nobody really knows sort of exactly why or uh, what happens. Um, and, uh, I mean, the key ways that we know that bacterial vaginosis can be made worse or be can be caused by it can be caused by douching. It can be caused by cigarettes or made more likely if people who are cigarette smokers. Um, but generally speaking, it just happens, and nobody is really sure why. And the the balance of the bacteria in the vagina gets out of whack, and it can uh, result in sort of an overabundance of uh, one type of bacteria. So, how do you get your holistic back in balance? Yeah, so I I don't have good holistic advice for her. <laughs> Um, and, and you know, and, and so fantastic advice. It's uh, it's kind of confusing that she's tried the she's tried treating it a couple different times, and it sounds like maybe that that hasn't been effective. And so she should go back and see her doctor for another round of trying to sort of rebalance the floor. I mean, it sounds like if she's not having a, a odor problem then it may be a lot better than it was or it could be. Um, and so if she 
So she just should try the, the Needs to go to the doctor, try another treatments. approach, another yeah. run at it. There's many different treatments for it, yep. and clearly she hasn't tried yep. the right one and yet. And that's going to work better than holistic approaches would be my uh, my conventional med- medical advice. What's wrong with holistic approaches for your whole? <laughs> it's... I, w- I would uh, I would stick with uh, with tried and true uh, Western, medicine. Western medicine in this case, and um, but you know that and she should also not worry that it, it eventually will sort of recalibrate and things will return to normal and uh, and so she should hang in there. But she should if if it's really sort of messing her up, she should try another treatment. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Available now, and what I'll be downloading later, David Sedaris' Live for Your Listening Pleasure. Again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for your free audiobook. Uh, my question um, refers to, well, I um, have an anxiety disorder, and it causes me to be on medication. And this medication, consequently, I, I need to be able to function, but it destroys, destroys my sex drive. Um, I'm in a completely fantastic relationship with um, a gorgeous man who I love dearly, and... Um, for a while, I was off my medication, and we were having sex like twice a day, and I love sex with him. It is fucking great. And, um, but I, I just can't, like, if I was a man, I wouldn't be able to get it up. Like, I just have no sex drive. And I'm just wondering if you have any advice on how to deal with that. Like, I picked up, like, this wild yam supplement that's supposed to do something. I don't know. I'm just in the dark, considering changing medications, but it's really kind of a scary thing to do. I'm a student, so in the middle of, you know, finals and stuff, it's kind of a stupid thing to do, but um, sex is a really important part of a relationship, and God damn, do I love it and miss it, and just can't, I just have no sex drive, and it's kind of, it's causing some tension in our relationship. Um, Everything else is great, but then when it, you know, comes to the bedroom, I feel like I'm not satisfying him um, in that arena. And, you know, there's no, like, threat of him leaving me over it or anything like that. Like, he promises that he'll stay with me regardless. But I just, I want to make him happy. Finals is a bad time to go and change your meds. Definitely. He's been going out, going without for a while. He can go without through finals. One more week. One more week. And then change your meds, perhaps. Yeah. yeah hear this all the time. People go on meds because they're crazy. People go on meds because they're depressed. People go on meds because they have anxiety disorder and it destroys their sex lives. Is it worth it? I would be very anxious if my sex life was destroyed. Whatever anxiety the meds cured would be replaced by anxiety about my sex life. As this happened to this woman, she's anxious about her sex life. Not anxious about what she's anxious about before, but anxious about her sex life. Yeah. So this is one of the hardest problems in primary care, Dan. It's uh, so it's, it's the class of medications that are called the SSRIs um, that are by far the safest and most effective group of medicines for depression and anxiety. And, um, and you know, they work really well for some people, and but for some people, 
probably sort of 20 to 30 percent of people. Um, they cause sexual dysfunction, which is uh, a complicated uh, category that includes both both decreased libido and uh, and sort of delayed or difficulty with having orgasm. And so some people have uh, libido problems. Some people have orgasm problems. Some people have both. Um, and the advice is always go back to your doctor. Think about changing your meds as if that's – always the cure-all, but are there people who they're going to have this reaction on any sort of SS? No. Well, well, right. So, I mean, there's there are – so options are to try a different SSRI, but that usually all SSRIs will affect people in similar ways in terms of their sexual function. But then there are, there are uh, other medicines for depression and anxiety that are not SSRIs that Schlitz. don't have this side effect that, that, are, uh, that are worth a try. And, Withdrawn, uh, Don't, yeah. not beer, but not beer and marijuana. Isn't that what people? These drugs just came along in the last like twenty years. What did all these anxious, depressed motherfuckers who were having decent sex lives do before these drugs came along and they fixed were, their depression and anxiety right, and destroyed they, their sex lives? Yeah, they were anxious and depressed, and uh, and so I mean, so that's what's so hard is that these men. And what did medical science tell these anxious, depressed motherfuckers to do before the drugs came along? Uh, Suck it up. Yeah, exercise more. Sit, sit on the couch, and I mean, I mean, because there's also there, there's counseling. So another because really the drugs aren't your only option, right? Right. So there are so the drugs a shortcut sometimes for people who might be able to like process this shit in their lives and find different, more holistic ways of coping. So and they just jump right to these <laughs> drugs that that nuke their dicks and twats. Counseling counseling can be a really good, effective option for some people with anxiety disorder. Um, but it, for some people really like the convenience of taking a pill once a day rather than sitting for an hour a week with a counselor. And so, um, and so I mean, so the options are to try a medicine other than SSRI. But that's probably not going to help. Well, it might. It might. They're not as effective as SSRIs, although, I mean, or, or, or they might have other side effects, but it's definitely worth a try. Um, and, you know, it's – and hang in there. I mean, the the other complicated thing about it all is that often depression and anxiety will decrease people's libido. And so sort of interestingly enough, some people actually find that taking an SSRI actually improves their libido um, because their depression or anxiety is better in their depression. But you never hear from those people because they have nothing to complain about. They're not depressed and they're horny now. Right, right. So they're not going to call. Yeah. We're only going to hear from folks like this woman with her problem. Yeah, and it's hard and she should stick with it and she should try something different, try different medicine or try counseling or try a different medicine plus counseling. A, a different um, brand of yams perhaps? Different uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Just slap that down. Would you, are yams going to help her? I don't. I don't think yams will help her, but I don't know. You know? <laughs> yeah. No one's actually done a double-blind study measuring the placebo effect of yams, and, it, and it's going to depend on sort of you know what you know. Are we talking about orange yams or purple yams? I don't know. I'm always happy when I see yams with the melted marshmallows on top. That's <laughs> like an SSRI for me. <laughs> marshmallows might help. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a 19-year-old college student from Texas, and I'm calling with a question about a guy, the last guy that I was with um, sexually. 
I, he's a friend of mine, and we had this one night where I ended up giving him a head. And he had a very unusual problem. And I'm wondering if you could tell me what it is. When, we, when I took off his pants and I was going down on him, his dick, like, moved, curved right in the middle. It was so bizarre. And it was not just like, you know, you're every, like a slant or whatever. Like, this was bent, curved, very, very difficult to actually give him head. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell me what this is. My medical opinion, bent dick. Yours? <laughs> bent dick. Not a lot you can do about a bent dick. Uh, there's uh, dicks that are bent all their lives, uh, and that's just a bent dick, and you have to roll with it. How do you give a bent dick head? Well, you give it head down to the bend. If you can't then maneuver around the, the bend yourself or your throat can't, you can also get into a different position. Some bent dicks are perfect for giving head because they bend straight down, and then you just have to hang yourself by the ankles from the ceiling or something. But there is a disease. There is a medical condition a buildup of plaque and you can't floss it the fuck out called Peroni's disease that's right and that's the one where people sometimes resort to or talk about surgery because it can be very painful uh-huh. unfortunately the surgery doesn't work it, it variable <laughs> <laughs> why are you clutching yourself like that and rocking back and forth in your chair <laughs> i'm here under my own consent <laughs> this is not I, I'm, I'm not here under under any kind under of duress. duress but this question yeah, I, I don't have that much to. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm certainly no Peyronie's disease expert, and it, it's a mysterious condition, and uh, and you know some people. And it's a tragedy for the guys who are really impacted. Some people right. have it because it, it can so be painful. It can be painful. That erections are painful, and, yeah. and intercourse. Yeah, is but impossible. that's but that's different than the normal bent dick. And if you gave him a blowjob successfully, if awkwardly, he's fine. <laughs> he just has a bent dick, and you know what? I think he probably knows he has a bent dick. You don't have to run to him and inform him that he has a bent dick. Bring it up in conversation. Did you know that you had a bent dick? He knows he has a bent dick. Leave the dude alone. Hi, Dan. My husband and I are in a non-monogamous relationship, and he was recently diagnosed with molluscum contagiosum, which is basically just some little bumps that he gets on his skin around the genitals. Um, it's from what I understand, just from reading on the internet, it's really contagious just from skin to skin contact. And even though it's not a problem because it doesn't itch or anything like that, it is just passed so easily that I feel like I owe it to my other partners not to, you know, to attempt not to get it. But I would like to be able to stay sexual and intimate with my husband. And everything I've read says it could take from six to 18 months for all of this to clear up. I don't know if I can go that long without having sex with my husband. So can you, I don't know, clear any of that up? Maybe I read something wrong or help me figure out ways to be sexual with him but still try to avoid passing this along to myself and then possibly to other partners? It's a terrible name. Molluscum contagiosum. It's a terrible name? Yeah. I mean, it's it's maybe like the worst named infectious problem that there is. Because it has the word scum in it and contagion. And mol- mollusk. Molluscum. Molluscum. Contagiosum. It's, uh, you know, because it's not, I mean, it, it sure, it's contagious, but it's not any more contagious than sort of, you know, con- common wart viruses, you know, so warts are really common and 
they're contagious, but they're it's not that it's more contagious than uh, than other sort of skin viruses, at least that I know of. I mean, I think it it, it has this scary, awful sounding name that uh, that freaks people out. And the genital location, like warts on your foot, on your hands, on your shoulder. It's not as scary. Molluscum contagious. Blah, blah, blah. It gravitates towards your wet and damp and dark bits. Yeah, yeah. But it can also be, you know, in other parts of your body too. I mean, you know, school-age kids get it. It's it's not – it's uh, it isn't that sort of m- massively different than uh, than other just sort of skin warts. I mean it, it – So if you're going to rename it so people didn't freak out about it, what would you call it? You know they 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 look they they have the little kitty bumps. Yeah, that's what I would call it. And they they have little dimples in the, the middle of them. That that's how you can tell the difference between a molluscum contagiosum and just a, a regular old wart is that uh, they have this little sort of umbilical dimple in the center. Um, so, so let's you, roll with that. We yeah, call let's them do, dim, dimple yeah, dimple warts or dimple dim, dots. Dimple dots. There you go. Um, and so and they're sort of raised bumps. They're the same color as your skin. And they burn out after a while. They kind of go away. You can get them treated. Right. You can get them cut off. You can get a burn off. Yes. Um, but then you, your body sort of sheds this right. contagion. Yes. And so, right. So just like just like t- gen- typical warts, you know, gen- all, all general warts generally eventually go away or go away for a time and then come back. But it is contagious. It's contagious. She may get it from her husband. She, she may. has other sex partners. So yes. if she really wants to be conscientious about not passing this along – Yep. Even though it's not that big a deal, yep. despite its terrifying name, yeah, yeah. she really has no choice but a certain amount of monogamy until right. it's both burnt out of both. Yeah, or, or at least just sort of disclosure, you know, letting letting her other partners know that there's a possibility. I mean, nobody – But j- don't, use the ori- don't use the official name. Please call them Hello Kitty Dimples. <laughs> right. And, and, um, and, you know, nobody you really – you scare your partners with yeah. molluscum contagiosium, yeah. you want to call them Hello Kitty Dimples. And just like all of these viral infections, like herpes, like viral warts, nobody is exactly sure how high your – transmissibility risk is if you're not having any lesions at that moment you know so if she if if she has sex with him and never herself develops a a a, a cute little dimple wart then the odds that she would be able to pass it on to somebody else is much lower than if she did and so you know i think she can say you know gee you know, my partner has this, so there's a, a tiny chance that I could pass it on to you, but I've never had it, and so the odds of that are a lot lower. And she's not guaranteed to get it. You know, full disclosure moment, I used to go out with a guy who was a swim team coach for kids, and it ran riot through swim teams because everybody's sitting on benches and wet swimsuits, yep. and he had it, and I never got right. it. Right, wrestlers get it, basketball players get it. I mean, it's it's definitely like school-age kids get it. High school athletes get it. It can be sexually transmitted, but it's also just uh, – it's, you know, it's – and I mean I, also luckily it's not that common. I, I mean we don't – so it can't be that contagious because uh, I would say that I – you know, in my, uh, you know, decade and a half of practice, I've maybe actually seen it only a, a handful of times. And so I mean – so – Warts are really, really common. I see warts a lot, but I really do not see uh, little cute dimple warts that often. Hello, kitty dimples. So that, there we go. Yep. Hey, Dan, this is CA. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm calling you to you about... Uh, it's a medical health question, and it's for my girlfriend. She has celiac, which means she can't eat wheat. So 
sheet, but this also is a low, it's a lower GI tract if problem. Um, she has she also has a glycerin allergy, and we want to get into anal, specifically me into her. Um, I'm okay with her into me. That's fun. I'm a bend over boyfriend like Kristen Tristan Termino likes, but I'm. She we want to reciprocate and. I want to help her with that, but the problem is, is she cannot use. We cannot use glycerin lube, so I know silicone lube only, silicone toys only, and you know, and and silicone or metal to- metal like glass toys, and no silicone lube. You know, we're problems here. Um, my other problem is the cro- the celiac, which is similar to Crohn's disease, only it's a specific wheat gluten allergy. We, she has some intestinal tract issues, and we're wondering what advice you could give about how to deal with these issues. Um, specifically, she has bouts of chronic diarrhea. You know, it's not pretty. My general advice uh, for people who have partners bouts of chronic diarrhea is to keep your dick out of their ass. Um, sometimes things just aren't possible it's terrific that you want to help her explore anal how selfless of you really it's really a, a, a kind and loving gesture but if her gastrointestinal tract is the you know a horror show of, of, of distress and an explosive diarrhea maybe you don't want to stir that pot but that's just my unmedical opinion dr barack <laughs> Uh, Please get up off the floor, get out of the fetal position, approach the microphone. Here we go. We try not to use the the term horror show in in, in, in medical. What is that in Latin? Would it um, sound better in Latin? Yeah. So, I mean, so celiac is, is a really common and uh, and uh, can be difficult uh, problem. I mean, it's actually pretty interesting. When I was in medical school uh, 20 years ago, we there was the only thing that we were taught about celiac disease is that it's this uh, this absolutely catastrophic thing that can happen to infants, and uh, and that that was really it. Like the whole idea that uh, that there could be mild forms of celiac that sort of uh, come to light when people are in their sort of uh, teen years or adult years really wasn't was unheard of, and so it's kind of a new thing. I would say the last five or ten years that there really has been sort of good sort of documentation and understanding that. And these people that, have a that, wheat allergy; they that, can't eat wheat. Right, that there can be this, these really mild, mild forms of celiac disease. So, I mean, as opposed to the absolutely catastrophic, severe forms that really can can kill an infant. Um, as if, someone who's a celiac, they have some Wonder Bread, and then they shit the pants. Like, yeah, the so it's happens? so it's gluten. So people get this auto, autoimmune sort of inflammation reaction to gluten, where gluten, which is in wheat and barley. Uh, and rye uh, can just sort of uh, freak out the lining of their their colon, and their colon ends up getting uh, sort of uh, so uh, kind of uh, worn away that they can't absorb nutrients. And so that's why, like for infants, can really kind of die from it because they just don't get enough uh, calories and nutrition nutrients in. And so, but so adults. Mainly, the main sort of issue that it can cause for adults is is diarrhea that kind of comes and goes, and it, you can 
uh, you can avoid it by being incredibly, incredibly meticulous about eliminating gluten from your diet. But it turns out that that's really, really hard. Because, I was going to say because it's in everything. Yeah. You never, particularly if you're eating processed foods. Right. So processed foods have you know tiny bits of of uh, wheat or barley in them and or rye and and so. But you know, so, so that, she can never know for sure that her whole GI is. Good to go for butt fucking. Well, I mean, she can. No, no. I mean, people with celiac disease, if they are really, really, really careful, and you know, get lots of advice about how to to change their diet, uh, and can really be pretty sort of free of symptoms, or at she's least she's not right. And she's got bouts of chronic diarrhea and some lower GI distress that's ongoing. Should he be jamming his dick up her butt in its condition? Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to know whether that would really be bad for her. I wouldn't say that it would be bad for her. It, you know, it just adds extra challenges. Might be bad for the sheets. It adds extra challenges to their to their sex life and they should, uh, you know. And But, I mean, you know, now, now that in the last five or ten years that celiac has become so common, there are you know just huge giant support groups, and there's websites, and there's lots of uh, support and advice that you can get, and products, gluten free products that you can find. And so, if you are careful, it's really it, it is possible to live a, a gluten free life, but you just have to just be mindful. But so, are you that saying that she needs to get to a point where she's not having sort of reactions to gluten that she's not aware she's eating or accidents uh, that she needs to be much more meticulous and then if she you know drags her guts to a new and better place where she's not having these chronic bouts of diarrhea maybe then they could explore anal sex absolutely but right now yes. i mean come on, how often do i come down on the side of not jamming your dick in somebody's ass give me some support yes. here dr Barack. <laughs> uh you're right dan you're right dan savage i have a sexual health question so I was listening to a podcast the other day, and you had the swine flu, which brings up the question. If you get the swine flu or any kind of flu, are there times that the flu, these infections, these viruses, get into any of our, you know, sexual juices? So could we give it back and forth to each other? Or does this, do these viruses never actually go into that part of our bodies? This is an interesting question for a lot of reasons. First of all, the dividing line between what is and isn't a sexually transmitted infection. You know, you roll around in bed with somebody. He seems to think that if you get it in your juices, like if it's in vaginal uh, uh, lubrication or if it's in semen, then it's officially sexually transmitted infection category. But that's not true because there's lots of sexually transmitted infections that have nothing to do with like herpes, for instance, um, that have nothing to do with ejaculate or uh, vaginal secretions. So how do how does medical science draw a line around something and say this is sexually transmitted and this is not not sexually transmitted? <laughs> now I mean you know he, it, you cough and you pass it, and so if you cough during sex, then you pass it. But that's dandruff is sexually yeah, transmitted. You can have exactly. sex with somebody who's covered dandruff, then you are too. <laughs> Absolutely, sexually transmitted infection. Right. Dandruff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. So a cold is sexually transmitted if you uh, if you sneeze on somebody's penis, and then they. No, I guess right. This, uh, well, when you're making yeah. you're, you're making out, you're like pressing your faces together. If one of you has the flu, if you have sex with somebody who has the flu, and you're not just like very carefully ejaculating in them with your head turned to the side, you right. might actually press your mouth into their mouth yep. and give them the right. swine flu. 
Right. And since you got it during sex, is the swine flu a sexually transmitted infection yes. at that point? All these respiratory infections are passed respiratorily. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I, but answer the question. Can you call it a sexually transmitted infection? Though? No, don't call it a sexually transmitted infection because then that just confuses people. Call it, call it a, 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 a non-sexually transmitted infection. That I, I got during sex. Okay, yes, that I got during sex. There you go. But how do you determine what is sexually transmitted and what is not? Yeah. I how mean, do they draw the line? Yeah, so you, you want it to be something that is really uh, – that is primarily transmitted or most efficiently transmitted or through sex? efficiently, yes. yes. So HIV, sexually transmitted. There's got to be this exchange yes. of semen and blood. Yeah. And, and, and herpes, you know, because, I mean, genital herpes is a virus that really affects mostly the skin of the genitals. And so it's going to be mostly primarily transmitted through sex. And so it's totally reasonable to call herpes a sexually transmitted disease. Chlamydia. Chlamydia. Gonorrhea. What about Hello Kitty dimples? Which you can th- – that's the one that you can get literally sitting on a toilet seat. Or, or – yes, or, or playing basketball. Absolutely. So that's – It's so usually I, not on the list of sexually transmitted infections. Right. Yes. And so I mean – so right. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a gray area. So Hello Kitty dimples fall somewhere in the, the, the gray zone. So swine flu is not a sexually transmitted but, Yeah, let's, let's, let's not call it swine flu. Even if you got it during sex. Yes, exactly. It's not technically a sexually transmitted right, infection. Right, right. But I mean, right. I mean, people who have influenza, they don't feel like having sex. They shouldn't be having sex. They should sort of uh, stay in bed and have some tea. Uh, hi, Dan. Uh, I am a, I guess, newlywed. Huh? Um, I'm in my late 20s. My husband is in his early 30s. And we've been married for about two years, and we have a very active and enthusiastic sex life uh, with one problem. I cannot get my husband off. He can get off pretty much whenever he wants to. He is able to uh, off or masturbate um, with me, without me, whatever. But uh, it's led to some uh, resentment in the bedroom. I have a theory about why, and I want to see what you think. Um, back when he was a teenager, my husband got his dick pierced, and he didn't just have a regular old PA. He had a huge double uh, O gauge ring uh, at the end of his cock. Um, at the time, he, you know, was underage and and didn't feel comfortable going to the doctor when it got infected, and it actually got infected enough to where his urethra hung out the bottom of his penis. Uh, and looked like like pink bloodied cauliflower. Um, at that time, uh, instead of going to the doctor, he actually razored off whatever it was that was coming out of his penis. And ever since then, uh, with or without the ring um, at the end of his cock, he uh, has basically been unable to come through uh, any kind of oral, anal, vaginal penetration. So the resentment issue uh, that that comes out of this is that um, no matter how we fuck, kink or no kink, vanilla or no vanilla, however it works, um, basically he will go for like two or three hours at a time and still be unable to get off with me. And I've gotten off at this point two or three times and I'm just done. I'm ready to go to sleep. It's three o'clock in the morning. i got to work the next day. And he's still going and he's pissed off that he didn't get his. So uh, I guess this is a two-parter. Number one, do you think the cock ring did it? Or the, I guess the infected piercing 
Uh, and two, uh, where do you think we should go from here? Thanks. I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything else, but <laughs> I think I'm just going to say for the both of us that razoring things off the end of your cock is something that only a licensed medical professional should do for you. Can I can I withdraw my consent for being on the show? <laughs> <laughs> so was... these, see, these are the questions like like when there's a question that like makes you sort of like cringe and roll around on the floor. Then I know that like which just, this one did for we, those of you who are not in the room and can't weren't observing, but we were both sort of curled up on the floor listening to this. Yeah, I mean this is sort of awful and 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 yucky and um and I'm not quite sure what to say except don't razor things off your your penis. Clearly, it wasn't as your urethra hanging out of the end of his dick that can happen. He got scar tissue that built up. Right, it was just mat- It was it was just a really yucky sort of. Scabbing, scabbing infection. infection that was kind of abscessy and and swollen and yucky and uh, and so you know he's just really really lucky that he didn't that lose his dick. He didn't. Yeah, it sounds awful. Like it would have been a gangrene moment potentially. And you can absolutely imagine that it's sort of left him with a a less sensitive uh, penis. You think? And so I mean, um, if what he carved off, I mean, it's not like in that scar tissue. Uh, there would be, you know, really crucial yeah. nerve endings or anything that he took off. He didn't take off the head of his penis. Otherwise, yeah. I'm sure she would have mentioned that just yes. to terrify us yep. even more. Yep. So it's a cautionary tale. It's a cautionary tale. I think it also could be <laughs> a coincidence that there are some guys who, because of their style of masturbation or just they need really forceful, intense stimulation, yeah. need to use their own right hand. They need to finish themselves off or help themselves along. And we say to women who have this quote-unquote problem that that's okay. You know, a lot of women can't come from vaginal intercourse alone. They need direct, intense clitoral stimulation. Even sometimes vibrators have to be brought into play, right? And that's all well and good and we should celebrate a woman's orgasm however she gets there. This woman's husband might be in the same boat and might have wound up in that boat even if he hadn't razored something off the end of his dick in his formative years. Yep. Nothing, nothing medical to add uh, except uh, that you, you promised me that there wouldn't be questions like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we saved this one for the end so that if you did storm out of the room, we still had the whole show in the bank. But, but you know, getting back, uh, you, you can put your head on your, uh, on your desk and, and rest your eyes while I finish answering this question. You know, you need to forgive your husband his dick. You need to accept that his dick is his dick and it works the way his dick works and he needs to accept it too. And you need to enjoy the sex that you have with his rock hard dick. I'm sure there are a lot of women out there whose husbands are premature ejaculators who would trade you the three-hour marathon sessions where you're getting off over and over again and he's still raring to go. And then when you reach this point where you're not feeling resentful and he's still excited and you've had yours – Wrap a fist around his dick and get him the fuck off. And at the moment when he's up going over the falls and he's going to come, point and no return, jam him into whatever orifice it was that you wanted him to come in in the first place and then kiss each other goodnight and go to bed. How hard is that? Anything to add, Dr. Brock? <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds like great advice, Dan. <laughs> you know, we've been doing the show a long time and we've never had a call that brought up. You know, we've had SSRI calls before. We've had bent dick calls before. This is our first – Razoring things off the end of your dick, urethra hanging out of the penis, which isn't which is a medical impossibility, is yep, it not? That that I don't think that that's what happened. Maybe it was his colon hanging it out was, the end of his penis. It's awful. It's just awful. 
I think we're going to leave it there because we are all so thoroughly traumatized. And hey, it's lunchtime. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a call for a future show, please give us a buzz. You download us every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com where you can read the Savage Love Letter of the Day. We want to thank Dr. Barack. Thank you, Dan. It'll be about four months before you recover from this recording session and we can con you in, leave a trail of like cupcakes and treats all the way into the booth and then lock the door. You promised. You promised no no, no urethra hanging out of the penis question. You know, I doubt we'll ever get a question like this again. So you can feel safe and secure in the knowledge that the next time you walk in this room, you will not have to answer a question about razoring your urethra off the If you promise, day. Dan. If you I, promise. Have I ever lied to you before? <laughs> 206-201-2720. Give us a buzz. Me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth will be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.